2: Welcome to The Jungle. It's episode number 51 of Eric Roberts Is The Fucking Man, the world's most beloved Eric Roberts-related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and joining me, slamming down energy drinks, is my co-host, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam?
1: Yo, I am so good. I'm on a break from work, so I've just been lazing about.
2: Now, when you said break just then, did you do a little wink because uh, it's one of those forced vacations that sometimes happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was formerly on a 10 month contract, and then starting July 1st, I will be on a 12 month contract. So the space between the end of one contract and the beginning of the next is like a vacation.
2: Mm hmm. I'm glad. You know what? I was worried that you're going to tail off into one of your trademark boring stories, Liam, but I'm glad that you cut it off right when you needed to just then.
1: Trademark poor. You know what, Canadian? Come yes, on. Sir? All right. If uh, you know what? Long answers don't ask hard questions. <laughs> Liam,
2: uh, I believe yeah. this go-around, uh, this episode, we're actually joined by uh, a special guest. And I'm not talking about our special, special guest, who uh, we're going to be talking to in just a minute. I'm talking about a special, special, special guest, because you have your daughter with you. I do.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, my wife, as you know, is a pastor, and she's running this... Uh, community festival called the strawberry festival uh-huh. so she's held up so hopefully she'll come in while we're recording and take mave away before she gets tired but right now she looks like she's pretty calm you might hear her once or twice but she's chill
2: what's the kind of sounds that a infant uh, how old is mave at this point?
1: point four months
2: how, how what kind of sounds do, does a four month old make i i'm I don't have any children of my own i have a dog and three cats and a wife uh mm. and and so i'm, I'm just not familiar
1: uh there's grunting sounds especially when she's trying to poop mm-hmm. and there's a variety of like getting your attention but I'm not upset sounds like I you know it's like a kind of like a ah but it's not like crying mm-hmm. and then of course there's just straight up bawling your eyes out
2: I see and that's that's from her not from you is that correct
1: Oh I there's a lot of crying on my side too but uh usually that's silent
2: You know Liam we don't really <laughs> ever talk about cinema At the beginning of an episode of Eric Roberts. Sure. Isn't that a little strange considering that this is a a show that ostensibly is about films?
1: Well, we get so much cinema with Eric Roberts that it's hard to then squeeze in more. You know, it's like we're already going to talk so much about the greatest movies on earth starring Eric Roberts. So why waste time on any other movies that exist? Though I... I did see Wonder Woman.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I don't care about that. But Okay, cool. I felt like you were being facetious there just for a moment about the quality of the Eric Roberts movies that we watch. Sometimes they're not that great. We're very honest about that. But I have a question for you, Liam. I, am, I This is very serious. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Do you think that with the two of us having this podcast, do you think that we've watched more Eric Roberts films than anybody else on Earth?
1: The answer to that question relies on another question. Which is do we think Eric Roberts' wife watches his movies?
2: Okay, I'm going to answer that with a, a likely no. I mean, certainly then, with, with the with the sheer number he puts out, I don't think that's very likely.
1: Then yes, I think we've watched more Eric Roberts' projects, not just movies, than anyone else on earth.
2: I mean, it's it's a pretty glorious a glorious uh, position to be in in life, and I think I heard one of those trademark grunts of uh, of your uh, wonderful daughter there, and I feel like uh, Liam that uh, she's already. Uh, a, a superior co-host to the show that, to, to, that, that you are I think she is, what do you think?
1: She brings more oh. character, that's for sure Alright,
2: shut up Liam Our guest today is an acclaimed writer and founder of the film fanzine Cashier de Cinemart And also the wonderful host of the Projection Booth podcast Which I've been lucky enough to guest on in the past It's Mike White, how are you doing today, Mike?
0: I'm doing so well I'm so excited to talk about these Eric Roberts movies with you guys
2: Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball, Mike We're not going to talk about Eric Roberts tonight What do you think about that?
0: Oh man. Crushed
2: and disappointed, I can hear it in your voice.
0: I am. I that that I thought that was the reason I was on the show. Come on.
2: Well, I'm going to turn to that switcheroo I made, I'm going to re-unswitch it and we are going to talk about Eric Roberts today.
0: Oh. Shoot.
2: And uh you know, Mike, you're a a long-time uh not only a long-time podcaster, but you've been writing about films and filmmaking for a very long time. Uh and, and the uh, in, in, a, in a professional capacity and in a way that people have, have experienced. I know I've read a lot of your writing. So I'm guessing that you have a long history with Eric Roberts. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Uh, Mr. Roberts first came onto my radar um as anybody else, uh, just as a fan. I remember seeing posters for the Pope of Greenwich Village. I remember uh, seeing a lot of previews for Star 80, which was uh, a little bit before my time. It was uh, I was 11 when that movie came out. I really didn't see an Eric Roberts film until probably around 1990, and I saw... A almost double feature. They were in quick succession, seeing runaway train and the Coca-Cola kid. And that 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 combination of movies put me on the Eric Roberts bandwagon. I absolutely loved this guy. and then, of course, kind of caught up with him and then have have followed him. I can't say nearly as religiously as you guys, but have followed his career over the years since then. It's always a pleasure when he shows up and thinks.
2: I mean, we take credit for uh, the religious nature of our interest in Eric Roberts because, of course, uh, Liam and I have made a blood oath to watch all media related to Eric Roberts. So it's not like we really have a choice at this point. We have to watch uh, and we have to talk about it on this uh, podcast. But, Mike, I have to ask you, what would you consider your favorite Eric Roberts performance?
0: Oh, it has to be Runaway Train. His whole thing with his shoes. I mean, that is is just – Comedy gold <laughs> It's so good And I still, it, when I'm walking around the house And I can't find my shoes, I'm just like I gotta find my shoes, man, I gotta find my shoes
2: <laughs> Now Mike, I imagine that e- Even before we asked you to be on this podcast You were aware That over the past, say, decade or so Eric Roberts has become um, uh, He's He's been in a lot of movies, you might say
0: Oh yeah, yeah I remember when he showed up on Heroes And oh, yes. then after that, it was just He's off to the races. All bets are off. And I (laughs) couldn't turn around without seeing Eric Roberts show up in something.
2: (laughs) Now, what do you think about that? What do you think about someone, an actor who at one point, you know, a Golden Globe nominated actor who was in a lot of large Hollywood productions in the 80s. And as you saw his career kind of fluctuate throughout the 90s and into the 2000s, now he works very, very frequently, but on productions of, of varying quality. Do you have any opinions on that?
0: Well, he kind of reminds me of Nick Cage in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious if there was perhaps the same kind of tax troubles that Mr. Cage has. Right? Because it just seems like it's excessive at this point. You know, it just feels like he is saying yes to anything. And of course, there are some great things that come out of that. And likewise with Nick Cage, there are some great movies that he's done over the last few years. But yeah, there's a lot of weird off the wall stuff. So I don't I, I don't envy you guys in this position. So I wonder if you can reconsider that blood oath at any time.
2: Fifty one episodes, Mike White. Every time. Every yeah, time every I, well, episode. Liam was actually kind of suckered into this whole thing. He probably figured that we could only do a, you know, at most 60, 70 episodes, but really the sky's the limit because Eric Roberts is still working. Those numbers, when you go to that IMDb page, that's just going to increase, and this is just going to keep going, and what a glorious, long, wonderful trip it's going to be. Uh, Mike White, on a recent episode of this podcast, we discovered through a news article that Eric Roberts has a squirrel sanctuary uh, in his backyard where he takes injured squirrels uh, when the local humane society or whatever When they have an injured squirrel They bring it to his house And these squirrels live in his backyard In a sort of rehabilitation center What do you think about that, Mike?
0: Can you insert the sound effect Of the rim shot after I say That's nuts
2: <laughs> No, but I'm sure Liam would be happy to go ba chink Could you do that, please?
1: <laughs> Wait, you mean but bumch? Yeah, there you go Yeah, okay,
2: right Sorry, right. did you think that I was making a racial slur then? Because I apologize if, I, if that is how you
1: interpreted it, least. Ah! Oh no, my... I just wasn't sure exactly I was like, "The what am I doing right now? And then your version of it was just some wrong Canadian version Well, that's
2: how <laughs> everything we do here in Canada is just slightly wrong That's what we're known for But uh, enough, enough general chatter about Eric Roberts We need to get into the specifics And we of course do that on this week's Roberts Report It's the Roberts Report for episode number 51 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And as per usual, there's so much amazing Eric Roberts news to talk about. And uh, as usual, we start with a deep dive on his Twitter feed. We're on June 5th. Eric Roberts, he tweeted to nobody. This is not directed at a a particular person. It says, you are an artist. True and true. Through and through. I get the size of you. I want the world to make a space big enough you know who you are. Uh, Mike White, starting with you, uh, who do you think this is directed at?
0: Um, maybe a sister? No.
2: Could be a sister. I mean, I think that's a reasonable guess.
0: Maybe she's having a, a down day.
2: Well, you know, she just, uh, I believe I just heard that she's going to be part of a television series uh, coming up. Uh, Julia Roberts, her own TV series so maybe maybe he was directing it towards her maybe this was a uh, uh, um, just recently Eric Roberts very sadly uh, he was close to Chris Cornell uh, who we all know passed away uh, semi recently and uh, and Eric Roberts attended his funeral it could be directed towards him Um, but uh, but let's get some other thoughts Liam who do you think uh, Eric Roberts might be referring to here
1: uh, one of the Baldwins, not Alec
2: Not Alec? Perhaps, perhaps Daniel, you know, I noticed, uh, Liam, that it, one of the features that we're going to be referring to today uh, Features Daniel Baldwin, and he was in a movie the last episode as well, isn't that interesting?
1: I mean, yeah, it's interesting, I don't know if it's interesting, but it is, uh, it is a fact that is confusing
2: Yes, well, I'll tell you what is also confusing, Eric Roberts' love of reality television uh, in particular, he loves the television show The Voice, and uh, he's recently been tweeting about NBC World of Dance, which I don't know what that is, but I'm going to guess is some sort of dance competition show. Uh, and he, he mentioned in a recent tweet that he's loving it, and he I think he uh, linked a YouTube video, but then he responded to his own tweet on May 31st saying, everyone's too good, do away with competition, and just let us enjoy, or sorry, let us just enjoy, uh, and then he says, there is know best now mike uh, i'm sure you've heard this uh, when it comes to say award shows things like the oscars or the golden globes there's a lot of controversy among some groups where people say you can't really gauge you can't really compete uh against each other in this sort of art form it just isn't fair do you have any thoughts on that subject uh no 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 thoughts at all now when when the oscar season comes around mike do you get excited thinking oh boy i want to see who's going to get nominated for best picture
0: I watch the Oscars every single year, and I apologize to my wife, and I say, I'm sorry, honey, this is just my thing. <laughs> but I mostly watch it to kind of be snarky, mm-hmm. and yeah. So I haven't really enjoyed a, a good Oscars uh, ceremony since 1989 when Rob Lowe and, and Snow White danced oh, yeah. together.
2: <laughs> that, that legendary moment with Rob Lowe. Uh, now, do you feel bad, Mike, since you're obviously a regular watcher of this awards ceremony. It used to be that there would be a lot of dance sequences during the Oscar ceremony. It seems like they've gotten rid of them in recent years. Do you miss the dancing on the Oscars?
0: No. And if anything, I think they should just kind of get rid of the music part as well. But that's just me.
2: Now, Mike, what kind of music do you enjoy?
0: (laughs) Uh, I I tend to go for uh, a lot of Zydeco. Myself? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's it? That's all you listen to?
0: Pretty much exclusively.
2: You know, Liam listens to uh, hardcore punk music. Isn't that right, Liam?
1: I knew this was a lead-in to talk. You were going to make some punk comment. You know what? what you am know I, what? Am I wrong? Do you not listen to punk music? I do, but you like to make it a thing. I'm not making it a right? thing. I'm
2: just bringing it up. I feel like you're very, very sensitive. Is this because you have a daughter and you haven't been getting enough sleep lately? <laughs>
1: um, no, I do. I, I do enjoy the the varieties of the punk, especially along the harder variety.
2: Do you watch reality television, Liam?
1: Uh, I was. I would normally say no in a sort of haughty, better-than-people-who-do tone, but... Uh, I've recently been watching shows on Viceland which are really are reality TV just like uh filmed slightly differently and involving more pot
2: more of oh, that's right. Uh, now I'm going to pass back over to you for a second Mike. Mike, do you watch any reality television series?
0: I do. Um I am not too proud sure. to admit that I am a ad- avid fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, I would, I love Project Runway, I used to watch So You Think You Can Dance, I'm not sure if they'll get away from having the kids on there and go to, like, at least pubescent and older this year, maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, but yeah, I'm right there on the hot tamale train with that show.
2: Now, do you watch a lot of scripted television outside of reality shows, Mike, or do you spend most of your time watching films?
0: I watch a lot of films, Mm. but I do... Watch? Well, of course, I'm heavily invested in Twin Peaks right now. Uh-huh. I'm very into American Gods right now, though I feel that I'm going to be disappointed with that any moment now. So I, after Lost, I found that I couldn't really invest myself in television too much without getting my heart broken.
2: I hear you, and I agree 100%. Now, the big news in the Eric Roberts verse this week is the announcement of an upcoming film called Fake news, now that, uh, that term fake news is something that's been in the media a lot over the last few months Because of that <laughs> absolute fucking maniac who's running your country down there um, And uh, just a little political aside there um, Fake news is a movie that's uh, going to start filming on June 19th of 2017, and it's about a no-nonsense reporter with a reputation for breaking the most scandalous stories in America, when one of his manufactured scandals backfires, he finds himself fighting against some of the most powerful forces in American politics, and this is a film starring Eric Roberts, as this, uh, as this news reporter, Maxwell Stern. Uh, it says in this press release, thrilling, suspenseful, and incredibly witty, Fake News Begins Principal Filming on June 19th. When you hear that, Mike, what are your first thoughts now, especially because that term, fake news, is already so loaded? Uh, do you have any concerns about this film that Eric Roberts will be featuring it?
0: Oh, no, no concerns at all. I, I think that the, uh, uh, the the ad campaign is built in now. So every time that Trump tweets about it, we're just going to have uh, you know more money go in Eric Roberts' pocket right there.
2: Then I have a very important question for you, Mike. Do you think... By the time that this movie comes out, that Donald Trump will still be president of the United States.
0: We can hope not.
2: We can hope not. Now, uh, of course, that's your left wing point of view. Let's go over to Liam and his right wing point of view. Uh, Liam, so right. Mm-hmm, let's. Do you have any thoughts about fake news? Will you be checking it out?
1: Uh, I don't actually understand what this movie. Like, what is the direction this movie? Let me interrupt aiming. you there,
2: Liam. It's. An engaging story with themes that are both relevant and up to date. No, see, I need more. <laughs> I need more
1: than that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have to watch it because Eric Roberts is in it. However, I don't know if I'm going to go in being like, okay, let's see what this has to say, or if I'm going to go in being like super skeptical and like on guard and whatever. Whatever. The reality for me, though, is that chances are it's going to be bad. So
2: I got the impression that uh, they were so excited to make a movie called Fake News that everything else is secondary to that because for one thing this press release doesn't have a director listed which i thought was a little unusual uh but i will say that on eric roberts twitter feed he had, seems lately to be uh legitimately excited about this project or someone asked him to talk about how excited he was to do this project so sure. we'll, we'll check out fake news probably at some point in 2018. uh on the most recent episode of the show by the way we mentioned
0: oh, yes can i inject something right please. there please I, I was concerned that maybe you had made some sort of, uh, uh, in, uh, what, what sort of transcription error mm-hmm. but did you notice that in the press release, they misspelled "principal" for uh, "principal photography." I
2: did. They spelled it the way as if it, if it was a, uh, a school principal. But if I had to point out every misspelling in a press release that I put on the show, then we'd almost never stop talking about it. I just, <laughs> I just figure hey,
1: sometimes Doug rewrites the press releases live on the podcast <laughs> because the sentences don't make sense, and so he has to figure out what they're fe- trying to say like in real time.
2: Look, I don't mm-hmm. want to be manipulated by these press releases. I need to put it out there. But, you know, we're, we're allowed to comment on them in any way we see fit. I'm looking forward to seeing fake news and seeing what it's all about. And, of course, we have to watch it, Liam. And why is that?
1: Some blood oath or some bullshit. We made
2: a blood oath. Uh, now, Peter Stormare is a close friend of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And uh, we have mentioned on uh, previous episodes, a number of them, about his upcoming TV series Swedish Dicks which yeah. uh, which is going to be airing in the very near future. They just uh, released over the last few days a trailer for the TV series. Did you watch this trailer, Liam?
1: Oh, I did, and I'm so excited. Now, it actually looks really funny.
2: It does. You know what? I think it does look pretty darn funny. And I it's uh, I was surprised. I knew that Keanu Reeves was a producer on the show. I didn't know that he was going to have uh, what uh, apparently is going to be a fairly large part of, On it, uh, and he very much does Look like his John Wick character Which is actually holds a significant appeal To me, it's going to be on the cable channel Pop, which is previously Known as the TV Guide Network uh, Which is, that that sounds a little Unusual, I guess Pop is making uh, A run for scripted uh, series Uh, Mike, have you heard of this TV uh, TV Channel Pop before?
0: No, this is a new one I mean, but I just found a channel last night That apparently only plays old Star Trek Episodes, so (laughs) There's new stuff every day New, old stuff, we would say Yes (laughs) Mike, uh, uh, Swedish
2: Dicks, uh, does this hold any appeal to you? Are you a fan of Peter Stormare? Oh, hell yes Have Have you ever talked with Peter Stormare? He seems like the kind of person that you should talk to
0: I would love to talk to Peter Stormere, but no, I have yet to to speak with him. God, there's got to be some sort of friendship between him and Keanu, though. When I think about him being in John Wick 2, he was mm-hmm. in Constantine. That's right. That's, that's a good connection there.
2: And there's also a very strong connection between Peter Stormare and Eric Roberts. They've apparently been friends for a number of years, and there was a uh, very interesting um, uh, advertising campaign just, uh, I think it was like maybe four or five months ago, uh, where – uh, the, the advertisement is just Peter Stormare and Eric Roberts building a bike together It is unbelievable It's really good, actually And really interesting But they obviously have a close friendship Which is probably why Eric Roberts is in this series So let's see more Eric Roberts, Peter Stormare, Keanu Reeves projects I'm just putting it out there for John Wick 3 Eric Roberts in John Wick 3 Let's turn it to a hashtag What do you think, Mike?
0: Oh, it could almost be a crossover with the Expendables films.
2: Uh, You know what? I feel like Eric Roberts' character might have survived the first Expendables now that I know. Sure. Recently added to the ever expanding Eric Roberts Internet Movie Database page is Dark Cupid from director Q. Uh, Yes. Q, uh, K-H-U is how this uh, person's name is spelled. Uh, the plot summary is that Kit is a young, easygoing girl who is destined to find love only for it to be ruined by the Dark Cupid herself. Dark Cupid, uh, I. that is a very interesting <laughs> description for what this movie is all about. The last update on the Internet Movie Database is from April 2014. This film, I was doing a little research on it because I wanted to have something to say here. All I could find was an interview with the director of um, the uh, beloved film on this uh, podcast, Dark Moon Rising, Justin Price, who uh, mentioned that he produced the film Dark Cupid and that uh, Q, K-H-U, was actually in that film before. Liam, knowing your love and respect for Dark Moon Rising, do you have any interest in seeing Dark Cupid?
1: I'm just mad that uh, Justin Price is still uh, working um and drawing breath for that matter.
2: Oh boy, that is uh, that's an extreme. I always I always took you for a pacifist, Liam. So that's a, this is a very
1: disturbing. Right, movie. right, right. I'm not personally going to do anything. I just in my soul, kind of um, fingers crossed that things don't work out. Because uh, Darkwood <laughs> Rising is one of the worst movies I've ever had to sit through in my life. It is a very poor.
2: Movie And I feel like because we have an Eric Roberts podcast that our perspective on what is poor and what isn't is, I think it's a very learned and very uh, uh, well-informed perspective. And we we can both say that Dark Moon Rising, which by the way, Mike, Dark Moon Rising is a werewolf movie, a teen werewolf movie, um, sort of maybe inspired by the Twilight series and absolutely just piss poor in every possible way. Um, and, and I, when I think back to it, I don't think about images from it. I just think of the pain that the movie made me feel, which is not, I don't like that feeling. Liam, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it will, it will also confusion. Like I, I do think of some aspects of it, like how, it somehow tried to work in some of the, like, hierarchy of powers one encounters in an anime. Mm -hmm. Like, there were different levels of werewolf, and was your level going to be strong enough to fight my level? But without any of the backstory, it just assumed you as an audience member would go with that. And I'm like, why are they saying these things? I don't understand what's happening.
2: Remember a couple years ago that uh, they would release Hollywood films, and sometimes they'd have a very – Interesting and uh, Detailed backstory And sometimes you'd watch the movie and be like Hmm, I didn't really understand what was going on And then you discover that there's a comic book Like uh, a prequel That they put out at the same time that kind of gives you Background on everything that's going on They used to do that quite a bit just a few years ago And I'm kind of glad they got out of that habit But I want to turn over to you Mike Before we take our first break um, Cupid Do you think Cupid as a character Is being underserved in the film medium.
0: Oh, of course.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I mm-hmm. mean, now now that we have CG uh, capability, we should have Cupid all over the place. Little babies wearing diapers with arrows. Why not?
2: Were you amused, Mike, by the fact that this is a, a film directed by someone named Q, and it's about Cupid?
0: Ooh. Is Pid Q's last name?
2: I don't know. I don't know. You know what? Actually, that's a really... That's an interesting question. I'll do a little research and find out. By the way, the characters in this movie, I just uh, have listed a few of them in our document we're all looking at. Uh, Q plays a character named L, -L. E-L. Deanna Grace Congo plays a character named Kit, uh, and I refer to in the plot summary. And Eric Roberts plays a character named G, uh, just the letter G. So that's very interesting. Uh, So we'll be uh, keeping our eyes out and ears out for Dark Cupid, perhaps coming soon to Eric Roberts' Is the fucking man, but that's the end of the uh, the news bag this week. So we need to talk about what are the films that Mike White has chosen for us to watch on this episode. Mike, what will we be watching today?
0: I only chose one of the films. Uh huh. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was told. No Deposit was one of the films And the other one, I said, please let me know when you do La Cucaracha Because I would love to come on for that And lo and behold, we're doing La Cucaracha
2: La Cucaracha from 1998 is the first film we're going to be discussing today And then we're going to talk about Frank D'Angelo's No Deposit The uh, (laughs) star-studded, very timely movie from 2015 Uh, and, uh, And before we get into that, of course, we have to take our first break. When we return, 1998's La Cucaracha. We'll be right back.
0: South of the border Down Mexico Way That's where I fell in love When stars above came out to play And now as I wander My
1: thoughts ever stray South of the
0: border Down
1: Mexico
2: A Desperate Writer Fights for Survival When the Mexican Mob Involves Him in Murder. <laughs> one of those wonderful plot summaries from the Internet Movie Database. It's 1998's La Cucaracha, directed by Jack Perez. You might know him from his film Some Guy Who Kills People from a few years back. I actually saw that one. I thought it was pretty decent. Um, in uh, in the my no-budget circles, he's a little bit more well-known for America's Deadliest Home Videos. He also directed Wild Things 2. Uh, Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus, and Monster Island, which I think I have actually seen, an early film from uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I think Carmen Electra is in that movie as well. The tagline for La Cucaracha, it's high noon in hell. So uh, just to elaborate on that plot a little bit, Eric Roberts plays a bit of a, a down-and-out Loser hanging out in a small town in Mexico Who uh, almost accidentally finds himself In a plot to murder somebody And uh, finds himself hired to do so Uh, It it happens semi-successfully The person actually commits suicide And Eric Roberts is then uh, killed Or almost killed by the group that hired him However, he is not fully killed He actually ends up, uh, uh, I guess, paraplegic In a wheelchair And then has to go and find his Revenge, La Cucaracha Very interesting movie I have to say this one took me by surprise But it seemed like this was a movie that Mike White Was uh, itching to talk about So I'm guessing that you already had Certain expectations going in I'll talk about my feelings in just a few minutes But I want to start with you Mike What did you think of La Cucaracha?
0: Well I saw this movie years ago And it has stuck with me For all of this time Mm -hmm. Because it was such an understated Little movie It's kind of a Uh, a neo-noir thriller Mm -hmm. i'm a sucker for neo-noirs and i mean fantastic performance from mr roberts and i actually liked the twists and turns as far as where it went how it started where it went after that so and and i like that he he really puts it out there as this walter pool character Mm -hmm. um just that he Is a loser and he plays it that way and he plays it so sincerely. The story that he tells about how he decided to kind of get away from the world and this whole MUSAC thing. Uh Wonderful. I love that speech. And I thought that, uh, yeah, he just did a great job in it. So uh, as soon as, even the first time I heard that you guys were doing this show, I was just like, oh man, I can't wait to hear their thoughts about La Cucaracha. So now I'm honored to be on here talking about it with you guys.
2: Now, of course, uh, for those who maybe haven't taken a year of university Spanish like me, La Cucaracha translates to the cockroach, which uh not only is uh, our suggestion of what Eric Roberts is in this movie, his character is even referred to as a cockroach. We actually visibly see a cockroach a little later in the film, uh, which comes to a messy and very surprising end. And we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. But before we do, I want to turn it over to Liam. Liam, uh, I think that you actually responded to this movie very similarly to myself uh, with a bit of surprise. What did you think of La Cucaracha?
1: I really liked it. When it first starts, um, I mean... Part of it was our our copy wasn't necessarily the highest quality. So as it began, I thought, oh, this is going to be another rough kind of like 90s indie thing that's not going to work out. It's going to like not have any momentum. Like all all these things that we've sort of been trained after watching a lot of kind of like Eric Roberts actioners that lack action or one of those sorts of movies. And instead, I mean – A, like Mike said, his performance is he's really owning this kind of losery character, you know, this this guy who we're not sure if we like. And um, I don't know, there's something endearing about the character, but he's definitely not a great guy and, and trying to figure himself out and the sort of complicated... I mean, it's not complicated, like, I didn't understand what was going on, but there's a lot of angles on this revenge movie. It it could have been straightforward, but it never gets... it never takes itself too seriously. There's parts of Eric Roberts' performance that I thought were, like, really funny mm-hmm. and and endearing, and uh, and it never makes... I don't know, it just seemed like there was a lot of places it could have made some easy mistakes, you right. know, whether that would be some sort of uh, poorly thought-out shootout, or uh, Eric Roberts'... um I don't know, doing something like uncharacteristically heroic, or you know what I mean. There, there's a lot of places where bad decisions could be made that that weren't. And so, but when it ended, I just thought that was a really engaging, fun little film. You know, it it was something that I'm kind of surprised I'd never heard of, and I, and I'm I was a little thinking like, what happened to this movie that like I've literally never heard anything about it, including the fact that there's a couple people in it who are who later became, I think, maybe better known.
2: Well, certainly. Uh, And certainly the person I think you're directly referring to is Michael Pena, who has a small role in this movie, uh, a small but memorable one. But uh, yeah, yeah, certainly (laughs) I think he's probably the most famous person in this movie at, uh, at this point. But, uh, but you're right, uh, and, and you're certainly, uh, your point about the film does, not having a lot of profile is well observed I had not heard of this movie, and uh, and you might say, well, that's not such, what is who cares if you haven't heard of it Well, I run an Eric Roberts podcast, so if there's a movie with Eric Roberts in it that's supposed to be decent I should already know about it, but no, this one took me really completely by surprise And one of the things I really liked about it, and you kind of referred to it for a moment there, Liam Is the idea that they were not Afraid to make Eric Roberts Walter Poole character really kind of loathsome right he's a real scumbag Uh, at the beginning he isn't just down and out I mean he's falling down drunk he has no clean clothes he looks filthy and sweaty uh, and uh, maybe slightly mentally disturbed he's really someone who's who's hit rock bottom but his progression is not really one of a uh, redemption, uh, and in fact, he goes from somebody who pretends that he's a hired killer to actually becoming one, and uh, and and tr- you know tries to even murder himself uh, a little bit later in the movie, uh, and 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 uh, it seems like he has a lot of trouble dying. This character—that's one of the things <laughs> I really took away from it. Um, I, I'm not going to go too far into Eric Roberts' performance uh, right now. I just want to talk with you for a second, Mike. Were there any supporting performances that kind of jumped? Out at you. I want to. I'm referring specifically to the James McManus performance uh, as Lewis Graves, who's this sort of uh, the number one to the the big baddie, if you can call him that. And, and even even the big baddie has kind of uh, dimensions in this movie. Uh, were there any other performances that kind of jumped out at you?
0: Well, I think the guy that he's hired to kill, I mean, he's only in the one scene, mm-hmm. but I think it's a very, very poignant scene. And then even the woman that he meets later on, uh, who uh, Felicia Car- Car- Kaminari. Or Car-
2: Kamriani? Yeah. I'm going to go with Kamriani. Kamriani
0: sure. <laughs> I thought she gave a really nice performance as well. So it, it, there's nobody in here where you're just like, wow, that was really clunky.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now the the, the big baddie again. I, I don't like to refer to them this way, in that it's it's so kind of black and white. But uh, the 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 bad guy, at least the person who's kind of sh- kind of uh, starting all the action, is played by uh, Da Almeida from uh, from Desperado, is probably where people would recognize him the best. I think he does a really good job here as well. But I did want to mention that, uh, and we're going to dip into spoiler territory here, that. The person that uh, that you were referring to just a moment ago, Mike, that Eric Roberts is hired to kill, it's under the auspices that he is a uh, a child rapist and murderer. And, of course, once Eric Roberts finally confronts him, we find out that the story is much more complex than that. He's actually the lover of the son of, um, of Joaquim de Almeida's uh, character – and when he found out about this affair between the two, he actually murdered his own son at that point. And it's it's a there's a real kind of interesting monologue. That that character, that again, the one that you're referring to, Mike The one that was hired to be killed uh, He gives, sort of justifying something that the audience might find uh, Very uh, complex or distasteful I don't mean the homosexual aspect of it But the fact that the person he's having a relationship with Is 16 years old He even states, he goes If, I was, if it was a girl that was 16 I was having this relationship You'd all be giving me high fives, basically But it is a sort of level of complexity That could leave the audience slightly conflicted Did you have any conflicted feelings about that?
0: Maybe it's just that I had seen it before, but no, okay. I I was actually okay with it.
2: How about you, Liam? Did you did you have any reservations regarding that?
1: Uh, a little bit. I mean, I I think um, consent and age is an interesting thing because I think we feel as a society pretty firm on what we think makes sense now, but then we have to deal with the fact that historically a lot of those things didn't happen. So, like you know, that movie Loving came out recently. And uh, that's a true story. And when those folks started dating, they you know, she was pretty young. And the, the movie doesn't focus on that. It focuses on their fight to be married, despite the racism of their culture. Mm-hmm. But they could have in the movie addressed like, oh, and when they started dating, she was, you know, obviously way too young to make any sort of rational decision. So it's it's I think it would be easy to get hung up on the age thing in the story. But I think that it's more complicated than that. And I think we, I'm the thing I'm not okay with is when we see that situation and we say, Oh, he's 16. That makes you a pedophile. I don't think that's necessarily an accurate description of what pedophilia is. It might, depending on their relationship, be pretty clear that he is not uh, doing something moral because, certain individuals might not be able to give consent. So mm. – but but we don't get – you don't get the feeling from the father that his issue is like, my son's too young to right. be in a relationship. This is definitely because he's gay. Right, if exactly. the son was 25, he would have killed the son. You know what I mean? Like I think that's the problem here is that – um it would be easy to th- focus on like, oh, well, there's clearly this age difference, but that wasn't what was at stake in the story. So I think, uh, you know, it just gave a convenient cover to say like, oh, he's just a child, you know, whatever.
2: Yeah, They leave room for nuance, which is something I actually appreciated. And speaking of that level of nuance, and I'm going to back over to you here, Mike. Um, when Jose Guer- Guerrera, who is the character that, that uh, hires Eric Roberts initially and then ends up trying to have him killed – this movie culminates in Eric Roberts basically um, trying to murder him. Uh, he's he's mm-hmm. he tries to kill himself. He's brought actually into his household unknowingly, and uh, in in kind of a Shakespearean twist, and he ends up having a, uh, a a broken mirror, a slice of the mirror against his throat. And he asks this woman, this woman that he had admired from afar and then became Jose Guerra's lover. Um, he has her choose whether he can redeem himself or not, or whether he should be allowed to live. Or not And she does allow him to live Which I thought was a very interesting way For this movie to go That this character Who is presented as um, A murderer But also a philanthropist Is given some measure of At least potential redemption uh, What did you think of the kind of morality That this movie is kind of uh, Playing with here?
0: Well that's the thing that you said before is It's nice and shaded That there's room mm. for doubt Room for interpretation That it's not just so black and white throughout it and i yeah again it's so surprising to find a low budget movie that was shot in what is it 18 days or something 18 that, days
2: yeah It's very impressive
0: yeah that this looks good that it's well acted and that there are these shades of gray throughout the narrative and yeah that ending scene is just like wow i wasn't really sure where it was going. And to be able to keep me in suspense like that, I was so happy about it.
2: Absolutely. Again, one of those things you really don't expect. From a low-budget movie, which really has no outside of Eric Roberts and and uh, and that actor from uh, Desperado, who who, who has a, I shouldn't just refer to him as that. It's obviously he's had a long career as well. But there isn't really a lot of name actors. This is very much a movie that could easily have, have flown under the radar in a lot of different ways. Uh, Mike, sticking with you, there is a sequence uh, where uh, after Eric Roberts is left for dead and he crawls out of his own grave, he ends up in a hospital um, and where he kind of stews, finding himself. A, a paraplegic, he's unable to walk. He's he's confined to a wheelchair, and in fact, has to work off the uh, the the care that he's getting by uh, by doing odd jobs like emptying bedpans It's a it's a kind of disgusting sequence there. But speaking of disgusting, it it uh, kind of culminates in this part where he uh, almost admires a cockroach which is crawling on his bed, eventually crawling on his face, and uh, and eventually he eats it. Uh, what did you think of that particular sequence? Uh, did it elicit a reaction from you?
0: <laughs> well, of course I thought of Nick Cage eating the bug in <laughs> vampire Kiss. I like that the cockroach kind of becomes his spirit animal. Mm-hmm. And it just this whole idea of is he better than the cockroach? He's got use of his hands, but he doesn't even use his hands when it comes to eating that bug. I was just, just because when he said I have use of my hands, I was like, well, he'll brush the cockroach off. And then when he eats it instead, I was like, Oh, he's kind of taking the power away from the cockroach. This is pretty cool. It's, it's,
2: uh, I mean, it, it, it could be so on the nose because he's referred to as a cockroach earlier as being very loathsome again and, and kind of a disgusting creature but as he, he as he mentions in the monologue while it's it's crawling near him they're also hardy and they survive and that's what his you know as i as i said he seems to be almost unkillable in this movie like a cockroach it turns this kind of negative uh, uh, conception and turns it into something If not positive, then at least more Respectable, uh, and that's something where uh, When the Jose Guerra character and him First encounter each other, and uh, Jose recognizes right away That he's uh, a complete Fabrication, that, that his he's Trying to come off as being cool, and this Kind of, of, of uh, hired Gun murderer, and he recognizes right Away that that's not the case, and in fact Only ends up hiring him because he's so, so pathetic That you know, when that final confrontation occurs, that there's a level of respect that ends up happening between them uh, because the cockroach just survives. What did you think of that part, Liam, where where Herc uh, Roberts eats a cockroach?
1: I mean, I think it very much in the context of the movie, it very much worked for the character. And I think that you're right. It could be too much on the nose, but I don't think it was. I think it kind of worked uh very well. And it was very believable, which immediately had me asking, did Eric Roberts eat a cockroach? You know what I mean? Like, I, I found myself, I couldn't help but think of the technical aspects. How did he do it? How did they do that scene? I mean, there's like, a
2: lot of there's a lot of quick edits that happened right beforehand. And I think it's safe to say that Eric Roberts did not eat a cockroach, though, if you want to go on believing Liam that he did, I'm not going to stop you.
1: I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I'm not saying I believe he did. I'm just saying it was, it was, it was well done. Yes. And I found myself thinking about it. Plus, I have eaten a cockroach. So, so why, why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> um, I was on a date with a girl. Wow. Okay. We were... Please
2: tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: we, were, we were, we were at the Great Adventure. Has like the Halloween thing or whatever. I don't know what we that this... is or where that
2: is. What are you talking about?
1: uh great adventure it's like a six flags a version okay. of one of the six flags drawn in jersey and they have like a halloween like it's like all october it's like halloween extravaganza some bullshit i don't know and uh one of the things they have is this like haunted hayride so we're in line for a haunted hayride and the line is interminable it's the only part of the park where the line is long you know like you go to amusement park the lines are always long mm-hmm. but for this thing there's not that many people so every Ride or everything that's open. Not everything was open, but everything was not that big a line. But she really wanted to do this haunted hayride, and the line for the haunted hayride was so long. And then they have these uh, park employees who go up and down the line, and they're like, "Look, if you eat, we have these baby cockroaches oh. that we grew ourselves. If you eat it, we will put you at the front of the line." And they, like, take your picture eating it to use in promotional materials. And so uh, she really wanted to get to the front line. And I really wanted to be, like, the tough dude who, like, impressed her. So I did it. I ate it. It was so gross. I felt so sick the rest of the night. It really was gross. And I know that it's not, like, a wild – like, it hasn't been, like, living off sewage or something. They, like, grow it for this purpose – Specifically it's like not like your average hey, cockroach.
2: the way things are going Liam We're all going to be eating cockroaches soon enough But I do have two follow up questions Just very quick uh, A uh, which base did you get to during that date Uh, Next question uh, Did you end up marrying that woman
1: No I did not
2: No what's she up to these days <laughs> I
1: don't know <laughs> do, you th- do,
2: you think, do you think eating the cockroach helped uh, helped the, the, the consequences Or the uh, uh, How that date ended up Or did it end up hurting it
1: Oh it helped Did you make out afterwards uh, Come on man What is that... that's, you know, that's between me and this young lady.
2: All right. Well, I'll look her up on Facebook and ask her directly. <laughs> uh... Mike, this movie was directed by Jack Perez, uh, a director who still works and makes a lot of kind of uh, low-budget, I'd say schlock. Did you end up seeing that movie, by the way, uh, A Guy Who Kills People?
0: I have not, but it's been on my radar for a while.
2: And uh, I enjoyed that movie very very much, uh, though, uh, like I said, a lot of the, the work that he's done through the 90s and 2000s, it's not, you know, it's a lot of it is straight to video, a lot of it is, uh, uh, wouldn't necessarily lend itself to showing any sort of style, but what I was kind of surprised with with the Lakut Karacha is that this is a fairly energetic uh uh energetically directed movie there's a lot of moving cameras there's a lot of quick editing there's a lot of it, it, if, considering that it was made very quickly it sort of carries some of that energy with it what did you uh what did you think of the direction of the film
0: oh, I thought it was very well directed i wish that it had been marketed a little bit better the uh the posters for this movie are ridiculous yes
2: yes <laughs> that it's safe to say can you describe the poster for me
0: well, it, it reminds me of the Dust Devil poster for some reason. It looks like it's a Western, and this is not a Western whatsoever. And the the big floating faces uh, just don't necessarily work at all. And then to, it basically looks like Eric Roberts is there as a desperado with a long duster on, like he stepped out of a Sergio Leone film mm-hmm. with these two pistoleros behind him. And it's just like, no. It, it, that is not right. And then some of the other posters are just right there with it. There's one poster design where it's a little, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, almost a Saul Bass type of thing where you've got a uh, a foot that is about to step on a man and then the man has a cockroach for a shadow. And I'm like, this is probably as close to truth and marketing as there is, Right, but but even then, it's like, well, is this actually a movie about uh, a little man who is a cockroach? Is this some sort of Franz Kafka thing?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, the themes of this movie would have lent itself to a lot of really interesting visual concepts for a poster. So it's a shame that they didn't go in that direction a little bit more. Liam, I want to ask you quickly, have you ever seen the movie Black Dynamite? Yes. Are you a fan? Yes. Do you remember at the end of that film, Black Dynamite has a fight with Richard Nixon, the president of the United
1: States? Yeah, totally. Do
2: you know why I'm, I'm telling you these things? No, I don't. Well, here's a little fun, little bit of a fun fact. Now, uh, the writer of La Cucaracha is James McManus. And James McManus, he written, he's written a few things that you probably have never heard of, uh, including The Big Empty, which I think was uh, the director of this film's previous film. But uh, James McManus played Richard Nixon in Black Dynamite. Oh wow. oh, wow. Isn't that something? Isn't that? Like, these are the kind of little facts that you only get on Eric Roberts as the fucking man, the the kind of things that only about two percent of the potential listeners could possibly give a shit about. Uh, I want to turn our attention to Eric Roberts, the actor. Uh, we've talked a little bit about his performance already. He really is the show here. I was so happy to see, especially because the other film we're going to talk about has a kind of limited Eric Roberts content. Here, he's there for the whole thing. You're with him. You know, we're fo- the story is his story. Uh, and he gives a very well-rounded, very three-dimensional uh, performance, but also one that's kind of atypical. Uh, one of the things you mentioned Lately, Liam, on the show Is that sometimes we see Eric Roberts give performances That are kind of stock characters Because he specializes, you know In in sort of these patriarchal characters Or sometimes he uh, Those kind of fast-talking Con men type characters Or a tough guy Or a gangster or whatever But here he's playing something That that sort of doesn't fit easily Into those categories Uh, I want to start with you, Mike What did you think of Eric Roberts In La Cucaracha?
0: Oh, I thought he was fantastic I love the way that he... Not only is he a phony when it comes to this whole I'm a hard-boiled killer thing, <laughs> but but really he's a phony when it comes to the writing thing. Absolutely. It just feels like he wants to get out of his workaday life. It's kind of, you know, Joe versus the volcano is what it sounds like his existence is. <laughs> and then when he, he just kind of latches on to, like, what can I do? Oh, I'll be a writer but I don't think he's ever written anything in his life. Mm -hmm. And so by him just going around and saying, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a writer. I'm just like, well, not really. It just feels like his whole existence is fake. And he just keeps putting on layer after layer after layer, never really believing in anything that he says or, or does.
2: And in fact, it's kind of uh, coming to terms with his own uh, bullshittedness that his, his own, um uh lack of authenticity is how he can kind of come to some sort of if if not some sort of happy conclusion at least a conclusion at the end when he sticks his thumb out for a ride uh you know he's a, he's a battered person he's in a wheelchair but you feel like he's gone through some sort of journey even if it's not necessarily one of redemption Liam what did you think of Eric Robertson's film uh
1: yeah i got to echo all those things and and a little bit of what you said that it's not though there are there are definitely hints here of other things he's done you know he's played smarmy he's played strong and weak you know like there's 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 things here that remind me of other things but this character is kind of unique because in the end it becomes about his ability to survive in and of itself that like that is what makes this character sort of like someone you care about at all is just is he going to make it is he is he going to make it through it kind of reminded me of of in that sense of like a bug like when you see something and you're like man is that guy gonna you know uh get squashed or not you know the whole movie i keep thinking like this is it this is when you know this this is the end and yet somehow he's he is he's he's immortal he's not uh he's not invulnerable but he's definitely feels like he's gonna just keep going and keep going and I just think Eric Roberts really lived into it and really, uh, you know, there was no, like, kind of, like, crazy Eric Roberts moment, but it did, he didn't need it. It was a good performance. It was a real character, and it felt like he was in the role of the whole movie. It never felt like he was kind of, like, phoning it in or not really present.
2: Yeah, it's a very unglamorous uh, performance, which is something that I really appreciated. You know, part of the, this movie, it reminded me a little bit of um, – of the recent films of, like, Jeremy Saulnier or even Macon Blair's movie, uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, you know, about characters who exist in a very... In a world that's stylized in a lot of ways, but are not experts at what they're trying to do, you know, they, they they almost exist in a world which has all of the movies and pop culture that we do, so they think, I'm going to be a hired killer, or I'm going to go and solve this, and I'm going to act like the people do in the movies, and when they try to do that, they fail in all sorts of different ways because they're completely over their heads. Um, yeah, La Cucaracha was a film that took me by surprise in a lot of really good ways. It's one that I think people should seek out, if only for a very, very solid Eric Roberts performance at its center. But with that all said, we need to get to the core of what this podcast is all about. In La Cucaracha from 1998, is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Starting with you, Liam?
1: Oh, 100% yes. Mike White, is he the fucking man? Oh, definitely.
2: Eric Roberts Is the fucking man in 1998's La Cucaracha Uh, I'm not sure what kind of availability it has at the moment I'm not even sure if it necessarily is available on DVD uh, But if you are able to track down a copy, I highly recommend it Jack Perez's La Cucaracha This is a director that uh, I'm going to actually check out more of his work Perhaps I'm underrating it Uh, Now that I've seen two films of his that I like Hey, the sky's the limit Maybe he'll want to work with Eric Roberts again someday They bring out the best in each other perhaps But with that said, we need to take another break. When we return, the main event, we're going to be talking about the great Frank D'Angelo's 2015 star-studded epic, No Deposit. Join us after this.
0: Don't really care for music, do ya? It goes like this:
1: the fourth, or fifth, the minor, for the major, left the baffled king composing Hallelujah, Hallelujah,
0: Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
2: A Family man falls from grace through a series of downward spiraling events Beyond his control with his life turned upside down He hooks up with the wrong people And things take a turn for the worst with almost no way out It's a story for our time The tagline is anger and hate are a total eclipse of the soul It's Frankie Angelo's no deposit from 2015 Which I had the pleasure to watch in Toronto, at um, uh, some friends of mine put together a festival called the What the Film Festival, where they show a lot of unusual movies. Uh, we actually, uh, I was actually out there with uh, a former guest of the Projection Booth, Josh Johnson, and he and I were there to see a, a presentation of Science Craze, which is a movie that we watched, oh sorry, that we talked about in the most recent episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man when uh, Josh was on it, uh, as well as Things, the classic Canadian movie, but one of the mystery movies shown. Was Frank D'Angelo's No Deposit, and it was presented by a former guest of this show, Will Sloan, who's really the preeminent Frank D'Angelo expert in the Toronto area, so I was very happy to see that before, and revisiting it was quite something, but Mike White, our guest... I believe this is your first experience with Frank D'Angelo. I can imagine that the whole mythology around the man and his work uh, at first might have seemed a little daunting or maybe even surprising when you discovered it even existed. Um, What were your thoughts, having now watched your first Frank D'Angelo film, No Deposit?
0: I was stunned. (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) When the movie started with this... Ponderous voiceover talking about the, uh, the the how the well actually it's not even a voiceover is it or is it uh, just uh, on on screen titles no there's a radio yeah there's announcer like a radio announcer there. and
2: I suspect right. that that's actually Frank D'Angelo trying to do a radio voice on it but I'm not saying that that's for sure what's what was happening right. there.
0: <laughs> There's that. And then there's like this really kind of goofy stock footage because I used to work at a cable place and Mm -hmm. we would get these reels of just, you know, like uh, lines going up a chart, lines going down a chart, you know, (laughs) just these kind of things. And I'm like, yeah, this is totally that. Like when they focus in on the New York Times headline and the letters are kind of spreading apart, I'm like, yeah, this is right off of one of those tapes. But um, I was just blown away as I'm watching it and looking at the cast list. At first, I thought that I had fallen into an Uwe Boll film. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to have Michael Perret in here, to have Eric Robertson in here, just so many familiar faces uh, who are just kind of actors who are a little down on their luck. I was just like, "What wow, is this like another Assault on Wall Street film? Now, or what's I'm, going on?
2: I, you, honestly, the first time I saw this, Assault on Wall Street, which, by the way, actually also features Eric Roberts, was the film that, that really sprung to mind because – thematically and almost in terms of plot, it's almost exactly the same outside of how things kind of come to a climax.
0: Right. <laughs> and then when Michael Madsen's name came up on screen, I knew I was in for a treat.
2: <laughs> now, now, were you, Mike, in for a treat? Now, having watched it, what is your response to No Deposit?
0: Oh, now I have to see more Frank D'Angelo films because I was also reminded of the cinema of Neil Breen. Yes, Just absolutely. this whole idea, I mean, because Uwe Boll is fantastic, but he doesn't star in his own films. Mm-hmm. And to come across a powerhouse like Frank D'Angelo who writes, who directs, who acts, who sings oh my God, it, he just, there's no frontier that this man hasn't conquered.
2: What's amazing in No Deposit is that Frank D'Angelo is basically playing a variation on himself, the character of Jimmy Valenti. And he is not only presented as a good guy. Um, and, and he's supposed to be sort of the, the co-lead in this movie with Michael Paré Who's this uh, kind of a down-on-his-luck guy He's lost everything because of the mortgage crisis He you know he's basically um, has married a woman who is really just about the worst person in the world And we'll talk about how, how this movie uh, presents females in just a, just a few minutes But Frank D'Angelo, he is the be-all end-all and you referred to Neil Breen and he is a very Neil Breenish character in this movie uh and he he also reminded me a little bit of how Tommy Wiseau's character is in the room where every character has to bend to this guy's will because he's the greatest (laughs) guy in the world and that it's like he's so smart and he's so uh like there's a scene where he's in his office and they're talking about how he has to uh that he's being asked to donate money to some cause and he's like I, I, all I want to know is if 80, 90% goes to the actual cause, isn't going to go to the administration He's like, of course I checked that out for you, boss He's like, well then just do it, just do the $250,000 donation or whatever the hell it was Absolutely ridiculous, and basically he's presented as Jesus returned to Earth by the time the movie ends um, But were you f- uh, feeling inspired by the end of this, Mike? Because this is a movie that is uh, very much of it's time, or more accurately, it's of a couple of years before it's time. Uh, despite it being filmed in Ontario and made by a Canadian, it's really about the housing crisis in the United States. It's trying to tackle some pretty dark subject matter. Uh, did you feel like it did it It did it justice?
0: Um, Maybe. Uh, <laughs> was I inspired by... Well, like I said, I was inspired to see more Frank D'Angelo oh, yes. films after this. Was I inspired to... Go out and help the homeless and mm-hmm. and work at a soup kitchen. No, not necessarily.
2: Well, a few more Frantiangelo Angelo films and and you'll probably be there. Uh, so the just I mean a really quick breakdown of the plot. Michael Pare loses his house, loses his family uh, because his wife leaves him after he loses his house and job. Um, he's down on his luck to the extent where he gets um, in. He he uh, he actually first tries to move in with uh, with his brother played by the the <laughs> great. Actor Art Hindle And I'm not being facetious there Art Hindle is one of our great actors Here in Canada Of course from The Brood People might know him From the David Cronenberg movie um, And has done so much work Here in Canada Here Not presented in his best light Despite being the the same age As Margot Kidder Who plays uh, Michael Perret's mother In this He is supposed to be Michael Perret's brother Because of his wife who is just the second worst person on the planet He then uh, tosses his own brother out Michael Perez is left with nothing So he gets together with some neo-Nazis Led by Michael Madsen and uh, uh, Daniel Baldwin And they decide to rob a Jewish bank And that's where things sort of culminate Liam, I know you've been sitting there stewing Waiting to tell us how much you love No Deposit What did you think of this movie?
1: Oh, God Oh, uh-huh. It was bad oh, It was, was it? bad What? But- let, let me let me list off a few things that I'm confused. I, I, think, I think there's a, a problem with the connection. Yeah, I, <laughs>
2: that's, I can't possibly believe what I'm hearing in my ears right now.
1: Oh, it was so fucking bad. Here's the things I'm confused. Well, okay, so when we watched Sicilian Vampire, I noted that Sicilian Vampire exists purely for Frank D'Angelo's ego, but <laughs> um, but it but but it at least makes sense because he is the focus of the film. So as an ego piece, it makes sense. The fact that No Deposit is also a cinematic blowjob on himself does not make sense because it, the way the, the film works, the Michael Perret plot, which should be the central plot of the movie, is a subplot to the plot of Frank D'Angelo's life, Jimmy Valenti's life, which is just he he's a pretty good life. And it's like, well, look, Jimmy Valenti has a pretty good life, and then in the background, this other guy his life sucks. And then at some point their lives like kind of coincide, which by the way, not even just in the bank earlier, he just knocks this dude over like, like Jimmy Vlad for no logical reason, just knocks him over. And so now they have a connection because he was nice to him for two seconds. Whatever point is, is that, uh, at least, if you're going to make a movie that exists only to make you look good, mm-hmm. have the decency to make it actually about your character, not have your character just swoop in as some sort of like, uh, you know, uh, Sicilian <laughs> Deus ex machina or whatever. Uh, Frank D'Angelo's accent drives me insane. It drives me insane. Now, will you say because, his accent? Now,
2: what what accent are you
1: referring to here? Uh, his accent is actually mildly Canadian. Oh, yes. But with an affected fake New York accent. <laughs>
2: Cause this movie takes place in Brooklyn, New York.
1: Oh, it's yeah. in, filmed in Canada, right? Like oh, this yes. is all in Canada. Oh my God. There's yes. not a, other than the aerial stock footage, there is not a moment in New York. And it's obvious in every second of the film.
2: Not, not, not just in Canada, always Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, the the uh really the Hollywood of the North when it comes to Frank D'Angelo movies. <laughs>
1: so i mean and then his accent it's such an affect it's such a pretend new york but with canadian pronunciation oh it makes it drives me up a wall every time he talks i just want to jump out a window and uh and a lot of this movie feels improvised which i don't think it is i think there is a script but uh once the camera starts rolling come on script what do you need that for uh, and in and in a way, it, it's weird because there's just so many washed-up actors just sort of littering the various scenes, showing up for the the smallest of roles, just just there in the in the movie. I don't everything about it. So, but okay, let's back up a little bit. Well, there's, first, I just uh,
2: wanted to say, what did you think of Dominique Swain's performance in No Deposit? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> She she is in the background of a uh, of the scene that introduces Michael Madsen and Daniel Baldwin's character has no lines just dances and you would not know that this was an actress that at one point was in a uh, you know widely released films but uh, yeah. n- here she is just literally background fodder
1: I mean, Frank, D'Angelo just puts these people in his movies because he can. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I'm assuming he has like embarrassing dossiers on all these people. Right. Cause there's, there's no way he's just paying them money. That's not enough. Uh, even the whole plot where he showed, he shows up in the bar. These guys just immediately are like, it's the Jews fault. Yes. No context. Just what? And the idea that Michael Madsen and, uh, this is Daniel. B- I couldn't, I didn't know which Baldwin. this. It is was. Daniel
2: Baldwin. Yeah. Uh,
1: They are the worst cast neo-Nazis ever. And the fact that they're like, let's shave your head. Why are these fucking long hairs shaving his head in the first place? And then they give him some sort of weird, like, cursive tattoo on his neck to represent that he's part of their crew. Mm -hmm. The word Nazi is never actually used, but it just sort of is hinted at, like, look, they're – they're kind of shaving his head. Like, it's not even a deep cut. It's like just shorter hair. Yeah, I've had so, longer
2: haircut, uh, haircuts than uh, Michael uh, Michael Perret ends up with in his skinhead gear.
1: Oh, my God. I, I could go on and on. Like, the newscasters, they just talk. They repeat <laughs> words over and over again. Nothing makes any sense. They have an expert on who doesn't seem to really know what's happening. The, the part where things really fall apart. I mean, things are falling apart the whole movie. But... The detectives, what the <laughs> fuck's going on? They've been that? working for 48 hours
2: straight. They've been, they have been—they just want to go home and get a shower so they can come back. And because they have ass yeah, They have ass, sweat, they
0: that's, have ass swamp.
2: <laughs> ass swamp, that's right. They have ass swamp that they just can't get rid of. And Peter Coyote, the great Peter Coyote, the counterculture icon himself is in this movie. And he has to say, what's ass swamp? That poor man. I just felt so bad for him. Did you – <laughs>
1: did you, did you- I mean, not that this matters that much, but it was so. Un- I even yelled "swamp ass" at the TV. Yes, they me said, too. It's <laughs> like no, it's definitely swamp ass, not ass swamp. And then, but even the like scene outside, like nothing that happens outside of the bank makes any sense. No, Frank Angelo gets shot. It barely affects him. He doesn't
2: care about being <laughs> shot. He not only doesn't care, it makes him want to give. Uh, more of a chance than Michael Perry's car. It's like he makes him more sympathetic to this guy Because he shot him And he's like let's go into the room I know where all the liquor is in this bank for some goddamn reason We're going to talk like men Because I'm going to get you like, He's being, Look I don't want to give away the, the, the end The best of this. is still
1: just talking like in a normal voice And then every once in a while he remembers like Oh wait I've been shot yeah, And he puts on this like completely false wits Like ah it kind of hurts that I was shot
0: He's being like, wheeled out at you the... my, From my heart not from my mouth <laughs>
2: He He's being wheeled out at the end after uh, presumably almost being dead And he's telling his banker, played by Eric Roberts That he wants to pay off Michael Prey's mortgage That's like it's going to be his final fucking statement to the world That he's going to do that um, And of course he also has that amazing quote It's nice to be great, but it's great to be nice I swear that's going to end up being Frank D'Angelo's bio title um, We need to talk a little bit more about this cast as you referred to, Mike, this is an all-star cast. In fact, all Frank D'Angelo movies have incredible casts, usually of Italian-Americans. I'm shocked that Armand Asante did not make it into this movie. Yeah. Um, we do have the great Paul Servino as a bartender. He he shows up in, I think, all of the Frank D'Angelo movies that are to come afterwards. Uh, I don't know how he ends up getting cast like this. I feel like he invites them all up to his restaurant uh, and and just says, hey, let's hang out for a few days, and he just gets them to do these small parts in the movie but uh, I do Want to ask you Mike who do you think Acquitted themselves the best In this film and who do you think acquitted themselves uh, Maybe not so great
0: Oh uh, Robert Loja <laughs>
2: For both <laughs> <laughs> Robert Loggia
0: was he Supposed to be
2: Jewish uh, I mean, I guess so. He's in a Jewish bank, right? No, yeah. so,
1: he, he, no. Remember, he has the numbers on his. Arm.
0: That's right. He's that's right. Holocaust he was a Holocaust survivor. survivor. That's, that's, right. Right. that's right. Oh my. That's God,
2: right. Yes. In a incredibly tasteful scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's being threatened by these neo Nazis, and he's like, uh, "You're not gonna push me around. I got my granddaughter here." And he shows his arm. He shows the number on it, and it is. uh Talk about eye rolling. My God,
0: my jaw fell on the fucking floor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, yeah, I kept wondering what the fuck Peter Coyote was doing in this movie. (laughs) But I have to say the worst was Doris Roberts.
2: Yes, no kidding. She gets that monologue, a monologue in this movie. So what happens is that Michael Perret goes to see his mother, Margot Kidder, and she's at this bingo game with her friends. And one of her friends there is Doris Roberts. And uh, she, again, all the women in this movie act are just awful to Michael Paré. For some reason, he is just the Earth's eternal punching bag for women. But as Margot Kidder goes out to tell Michael Paré that she can't help him in any possible way, even though he apparently supported her for years or something, we get this monologue from Doris Roberts about her son who committed suicide apropos of nothing, right? It makes no... The context of it makes no sense at all. But she had the kind of faraway look in her eyes when she was saying it. I felt so bad for her.
0: Yeah, it it like she
2: didn't even know where she was. I believe, by the way, that Doris Roberts, her very final performance ended up being in a Frank D'Angelo film. And I, I honestly, I think Robert Loja's final performance ended up in a Frank D'Angelo film as well. He, uh, he I believe, is in uh, Sicilian Vampire very, very briefly. You know, James Caan is in that movie too, by the way, if you want to really check out someone slumming it a little bit. But I do, I want to toss it over to you, Liam. But before you uh, talk a little bit about the acting in this film, I want you to say in your best Robert Loggia impression bring a stretcher for this good man
1: <laughs> I don't know that I have a good Robert Loggia but it is he's very much like get a stretcher for this good man get two garbage bags for those pieces of shit <laughs> I mean he just like every every moment with Robert Loggia it feels like He's not acting. It feels like he's just saying things. Like he's just yelling. It's it's oh, that. I mean, I kind of saw that he was in the bank when that scene starts, right. but. When he just starts yelling things, I'm like, really, this is what we're doing with Robert Loja? Like, this is what's happening in this movie? That whole scene was so fucking awkward. Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, well, there's a lot of awkward moments in this movie. Now, we have mentioned about uh, Frank D'Angelo. Obviously, he's the star. He's the director. He's the writer. He's the main creative force behind this film. But we did not mention his his amazing musical talents that underscore the film. It's basically a wall-to-wall Frank D'Angelo soundtrack. And not only that... The film is punctuated by Final Moments, and the soundtrack is a cover of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, performed by Frank D'Angelo himself, while Frank D'Angelo is on the screen, being directed by Frank D'Angelo. We are at peak Frank D'Angelo at that moment. Mike, what did you think of that performance of Hallelujah? Hallelujah.
0: Well, the performance was something, and then just the amount of time they took to go through and show everyone in the <laughs> cast, including Dominic Swain. <laughs> She's very important to the plot. I don't know what you're trying to say here. Huge. Huge. Oh, my God. Can I, b- b- Before I forget, can I just say that I love Margot Kidder showing up, and then I love that at the end, she never reconciles with her kid. That, oh, instead, this is so beautiful. Diane Salinger, who was in the earlier scenes. Diane Salinger, in case people don't remember who she is, she was uh, was Monique in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's exactly right. And uh, had a a bit part in Batman Returns as the um, Penguin's mother. Um, Anyway, fantastic actress. She's there with Margot Kidder and uh, Doris Roberts, and then instead of Margot Kidder showing up at the end, she shows up and is basically like, "Oh, your mother wishes she could be here." And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, you didn't get Margot oh, Kidder you... back for that day. They
2: they really wanted Margot Kidder to be in that part, but there was that was not happening. So you got a secondary character who not only is a secondary character, but has shown no sympathy." At all for Michael Perez 's character To the point where she basically just trashes him In every single scene that we have Except for the one where Margot Kidder Sees her son on the TV Suddenly has this change of heart And being like, oh my god, my poor boy And then when the woman insults him She's like, I can insult my son, but you can And then we're supposed to believe that That alone was enough to change her from being The worst, okay, the third worst person in the world To coming at to him on the stretcher Talking about how, how, how beloved he is now <laughs>
0: So crazy. Just so as soon as she showed up, I was just like, what is she doing
2: here? Now that does bring us to this topic of how women are treated in this movie. Uh most of our lead characters are all male. Uh and all of the female characters are well, I'm gonna be very careful in my language here. They're shrill, horrible, uh insulting, uh hen pecking I mean they're just they're just awful to Everybody, all the time. And it seems to suggest to me, and again, I don't want to make any accusations, that maybe Frank D'Angelo has issues with women. (laughs) Certainly with the women in this movie. Liam, did you have any uh, difficulty with how women were portrayed in this movie?
1: Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it is such a cliche to have a film filled with all these old, sort of like uh, tough guy men. Like, you know, like it's all these older white dudes slightly ethnic white dudes who've portrayed kind of like tough dudes their whole lives sure. and here they are in this movie and every female character is like a caricature of a certain kind of like wife or a certain kind of you know what i mean like it 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 wasn't just offensive in a way, but. It was so cliche that it almost stopped being as offensive as it could be because it feels like it it should have been making fun of itself. Like It felt like a skit making fun of this kind of portrayal, only this is legitimately how he wrote every character. There's no... The, the, there's no counter example, I think, in the whole film. No, okay,
2: so there is one counter example, and it's ridiculous. So Frank D'Angelo's girlfriend in the movie, or wife, she is sure not. I mean, she's treated very terribly. But there's a scene where she's gone to dinner or to a tea room with her friend, and she's there, and she sees on the television that her husband is trapped in this hostage situation, and her friend's basically like, "Oh, do, it's not that big of a deal. He'll be able to take care of himself." And she's like, "What are you talking about? I got to check on him right away." You see. She cares. She's one of the, the few sure, caring right. women in the world. So she even yeah. yells yeah. at her friends, like, what are you talking about? I need to stand by my man down there and show him how much I support him. I mean, there's a lot being said here without being said, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mike, what did you think of how uh, how women were presented oh. in this movie? Oh.
0: Can we talk about Art Hindle's wife in this? Oh my oh, dear my oh, God. My God. <laughs> so so Michael Poray comes over and he's been kicked out of his house. Right. Had his child taken away from him he comes over to hindle and they shove in this backstory about how when hindle didn't have a place to stay and his wife they ended up staying at michael Perez's place and she just jumps immediately into what the fuck did we buy a hotel around here your brother's probably in the in the living room masturbating on our couch <laughs> i'm like what <laughs> How did, where, where did this come from? This is on top of the fact that they
2: reveal That Michael Perret allowed them to stay in his house right. For years with no
0: pay at all Yes <laughs> She can't even handle him being there for one night He's there for an hour when she goes off on him And it's like, what is happening here?
2: It's, it's I mean, you want to, It's such a uh, a despicable Presentation of what this character is And of course, until Art Hindle then says You know, I shouldn't have ever married you You made me turn on my family You know, it, women in this movie are presented as uh, As demons that are trying to drag men down basically. Yeah. It's such a despicable presentation of that entire gender. Uh and and but boy, you gotta see it. Now we need to turn quickly because we're running out of time. We need to turn to Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts plays the um I guess the head banker, the guy the, the who runs the the bank that all the action at the end Takes place in Does not have a lot of screen time He's at the very, very beginning of the movie Having a 5.55 a.m. meeting He uh, With Michael Paré And then stops the meeting To phone Frank D'Angelo Just to bring all those parts together And then at the end He gets uh, beaten up a little bit Because he needs to, I guess Learn some sort of lesson What did you think of Eric Roberts uh, In No Deposit, Liam O'Donnell?
1: I... Uh-huh. I didn't love it It was standard like eric roberts doing like uh some sort of like official kind of sniveling character you know like i i get what they're going for with him kind of being evasive like it it wasn't terrible but it it certainly wasn't you know if i'm gonna sit through a frank d'angelo movie with eric roberts in it i kind of want eric roberts to have something and it was certainly more than sicilian vampire where he just (laughs) sort of shows up as a cop for two seconds but it wasn't it wasn't enough, Roberts, for me. No, it was. It was very. It was a very throwaway performance.
2: Very similar, if I remember correctly, to his performance in Assault on Wall Street. Actually, um, yeah. over to you, Mike. What did you think of Eric Roberts in this film?
0: Okay. Oh, just not nearly enough, Eric Roberts. <laughs> not nearly enough. Yeah, I was so excited because he's right there at the beginning, and yeah, having that bizarro meeting, and then that's our introduction to Frank D'Angelo with his whole shtick that he gives on the phone, and then the same shtick gets used with the other guy i was just like wow this gets funnier every time that they do this mm-hmm. um <laughs> but yeah i mean i'm surprised they didn't give eric roberts a mustache to twirl yeah. because he seemed like the classic banker character who was trying to you know steal the apartment out from or the uh the the land away from the uh orphanage The <laughs> orphanage yeah Oof. It's it's
2: it, the strange thing about that character is that he doesn't really learn that lesson at the end, right? I mean, they smack him around and uh, he, he's at the mercy of these neo Nazis, but we don't really get that moment with him where he's like, "I've made such a mistake." All we get is Frank D'Angelo saying, "I'm a rich guy. Why don't you pay off this guy's mortgage?" As if like that, that solves the housing crisis. That maybe Frank D'Angelo is just going to pay off everyone's mortgage because he he's just a good guy. Everyone knows it.
1: Oh. The movie manages to avoid making any comment on the system at all. Mm -hmm. Like, even though it starts with the crisis, it ends with, man, people who hate Jewish people sure are bad. And it's like, wait a minute, what does that actually have to do? Like, the whole point is that they're wrong, that what happened to them to him and his house it had nothing to do with folks who were Jewish but the way the film ends they never actually clarify that like all they do is say like yeah you probably shouldn't try to murder people just because your house got taken away alright like that's it And and meanwhile I, I feel like as bad as some of the other films we've watched are that relate to this topic of financial crash or whatever. Mm-hmm. They at least have a perspective. Yeah, you know, this system is corrupt. Frank D'Angelo's like, system's corrupt or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but what hey, about man, those I neo-Nazis I got through it. It was fine. <laughs> he
2: said, he's like, I got mine. So that does beg the question now that we've talked about that. Look, I think it's fairly clear that people who are listening right now, they have to see no deposit. No doubt about oh, it. Yeah. You gotta check this yeah. movie out. Uh but is Eric Roberts the fucking man in it, Mike White?
0: Ah, uh, I—is it okay to say that he's not?
2: I don't tell our guests what to think.
0: I don't think that he is.
2: All right, Eric Roberts—not the fucking man and no deposit. Controversial statement from our guest, Ooh. Liam. What do you think?
1: I gotta agree. I don't think so. I mean, it's—it's uh, it's not a solid performance. It's not a great movie, and I feel like if you're going to be in a movie like this, you might as well be a little ridiculous, and he doesn't get to do much the way some of the other actors do. Well,
2: here's the thing. Eric Roberts gets to have meetings with people at 555 just because... That's what he likes to do And those meetings Aren't just early morning meetings They're meetings that culminate On telling somebody That they're losing Their entire livelihood And he's like It's not me buddy It's just the system And then he just kind of Moves on with his day Sublimely slimy Eric Roberts Is one of my favorite Eric Roberts So I'm going to say That I overrule the two of you Eric Roberts is of course the fucking man in 2015's No Deposit directed by Frank D'Angelo uh, Please check it out, please check out all of the works of Frank D'Angelo In fact, I believe his latest film is uh, coming out here in Canada in just a couple of weeks uh, The one before that was The the Red Maple Leaf uh, And uh, this new one is called The Neighborhood So you should be able to check out The Neighborhood very soon By the way, uh, I uh, recently went through the, the uh, ancient filmography of Frank D'Angelo, to see uh, if his IMDb credits, which lists uh, uh, kind of very recognizable to genre fans, movies like Demonoid, Messenger of Death, uh, and uh, <laughs> Evil Tunes* and Dinosaur Island, uh, where he's listed as kind of assistant cameraman in it, whether he's in the credits for them, and he actually is. So Frank D'Angelo has a connection with movie history, and he continues to make movie history uh, with films like No Deposit. We're going to take our final break, We're going to talk with Mike White, and then we're going to say goodnight just after this. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Episode number 51 is in the bag. You heard about No Deposit. You heard about La Cucaracha, two films that uh, you should definitely seek out for very, very different reasons. I want to give a massive thanks for the great Mike White for taking the time out of his incredibly busy schedule. You know, I refer to our guests having busy schedules all the time, but few people I know have a busier schedule than Mike White and his great uh, Projection Booth podcast. Mike, where, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people check out the Projection Booth?
0: You can find me over at projectionboothpodcast.com, and yeah, we've got weekly episodes plus specials dropping all the time, and uh, yeah, it's uh, amazing that I find time to sleep sometimes.
2: (laughs) Now, you also have some written work out there in the world. Is there any books that people can check out as well?
0: Yeah, there is a book called Cinema Detours, which is a collection of all kinds of movie reviews. Remember when people used to write movie reviews on paper and stuff? Yeah. But it's those that I collected over a lot of years. It's actually a good companion piece to The Projection Booth because I have covered a lot of films that we talk about in that book that uh, so I guess I'm just kind of beating a dead horse when, when it comes to some of this stuff. And then there's also uh, impossibly funky a cashiers to Cinemart collection, which collects some of the, I can't say the best stuff. I always put best in quotation marks, but some stuff from cashiers to Cinemart that came out between 94. And I can't remember when I kind of quit doing it 2007, something like that.
2: A lot of years there and a lot of great content. I was lucky enough to check out your uh, your latest collection of reviews, and I enjoyed it very, very much. Uh, and I would recommend that people do that if at all possible and certainly support the Projection Booth. It really is one of uh, the premier film-related podcasts out there and in an overcrowded market that is absolutely saying something. You should check it out on Facebook and uh, and subscribe and leave reviews on iTunes. I'm just going to tell you all to do that right now. Thank you so much, Mike, again for taking the time.
0: Well, thank you guys. This has been a real honor to be on here. And I love talking about Eric Roberts. So when you guys uh, finally get to the American Playhouse episode of Miss Lonely Hearts, please let me know.
2: We, we will definitely do that. Liam, what have you been doing lately and where can people find you?
1: Uh, they can find most of what I'm doing at cinepunks, uh, .com. uh That's punks with an uh, X. Um, and they can find uh us on twitter and facebook and all those places uh we have a new show i'm not personally doing it but we're it's a part of the network called uh the mandate uh that should be pretty good Uh, i'm excited i'm (laughs) hoping i can be on it soon uh john wren is a local philly guy he goes to mostly advanced screening some will be uh, movies that are out already but most of them will be advanced and they do a conversation uh, he has a guest on and they do a conversation before the movie about what they're expecting and then they do a quick summation immediately after the, the focus is they're going to they're gonna decide whether or not they think you should see this movie and the, the response will be like in the theater like, like as soon as the movie's over and I kind of like the immediacy of it uh, you know CinePunks is not really in everything else we do, we're not really like a new movie thing. We we do occasionally, but we're more thinking about older things. So I like this will be our our space for people to discuss, and and he's kind of hoping that the comments and the response to what they have to say, people will have conversations about sort of the latest things that are out.
2: It makes a lot of sense. Now you say that this is it's pretty good. You say,
1: oh, I I think it'll it'll be a pretty good opportunity. <laughs> uh, John knows. Uh, that I don't always agree with him. So I'm looking forward to responding to some of his episodes with, you're an asshole, because I will. Okay,
2: well, a lot of arguments going on over at CinePunks.com. You can check that out on Facebook as well. You can also check out Liam at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z, over on Twitter. You can find me, Doug Tilly, on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L. E-Y. You can find my podcast Eric Roberts is the fucking man And my other podcast No Budget Nightmares on Facebook as well Just do searches on there If you want to check out older episodes of Eric Roberts is the fucking man Or you want to subscribe via iTunes or through other mediums Go over to ericrobertsistheman.com We're all listed there or if you want to check out No Budget Nightmares It's at nobudgetpodcast.com You can also find Eric Roberts is the fucking man On Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M uh, And with that said folks It's time to close up the Eric Roberts bag for another week, we'll be back in just another couple of weeks with more Eric Roberts classics on the docket and another guest. I want to give another big thank you to Mike White for taking the time to discuss, especially No Deposit. That's the one I was super looking forward to, and of course La Cucaracha as well. And I'll give a big thanks also to Liam. Uh, you take a lot of time out of your schedule and your young daughter uh, Liam, and I appreciate it very much. But with that, we're going to say good night. We will return soon. Good night, everybody. You can say good night too.
0: Good night. Good night. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.